0: Normally I greet you, but I just cannot help but get away from that line. Sing, oh sing, through the raging storm. What a great line. If you're here today singing through the raging storm, I want to speak a word to you that you may be here all put together, looking good, smile on your face, but maybe you're struggling today through a raging storm. And we want you to know that this is a safe place for you to cry out to the Lord and seek the face of God. And if you're hurting today, if you're singing through the raging storm, oh my goodness, we welcome you. We love you. We praise God for you. We are glad that you're here. If you're online with us today and you didn't even have the energy to get up and and come to the building because you're struggling, we love you. And we want you to know that we are praying for you, pulling for you, cheering for you, Uh, That's an important line, isn't it? Singing through the storm. Maybe that's a new uh, expression for you. Uh, We do that here. We sing through the storm. And so, to the extent that you're facing a storm, uh, may you find the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calms the storm. May that be true of your life. Uh, I want to call your attention to a couple of things this morning as we get ready to study the word. Uh, One is our newcomers reception that is next week if you're a guest and if you've been kind of a guest if you're new ish is what we say to the fellowship uh, then when the service is over would you just pick one of these up at the welcome center Uh, it's a time for us to get together for you to learn more about our church you know a lot of people who are new to the fellowship wonder do we do anything else except sunday morning oh my goodness do we We do a lot of stuff, and we want you to connect to the ones that will uh, help transform your life. And so would you pick one of these up before you go? Free lunch, amen? And uh, you're going to learn a lot about the church. I also wanted to let you know that my mama and daddy are here today. I want to introduce them to you. They rode their horses all the way from Texas. But uh, mom and dad, would you stand up just for a moment? I just want the, the church to recognize you. I have said this a number of times that they still speak to me from my childhood as a miracle, but uh, we are enjoying time with my parents. It's been good to have them here. I invite you to open in your Bible to Mark chapter 10 this morning. And uh, I, we recognize that our church... Uh, has the great fortune and blessing of God sending people here who don't have a lot of background in church stuff. And you may not have a lot of background in the Bible, and if that's the case for you, that is totally okay. Uh, Some people download the Bible on their phone. If you need access to the scripture, there's an app that you can download, and it gives you like a gazillion translations of the Bible. Uh, I have it on my phone. It's a great tool. Some people still like the printed Bible. And if you want the printed Bible and you don't have a copy, we would love to give you a copy of scripture. We believe that the greatest investment that we could make into your life is the investment of the word of God. So if you need a copy of the scripture, see me right after service and uh, I will give you one. You'll leave here today with a Actually, this very same Bible, the one that I preach from, uh, is uh, the ESV. We'd love to give you a copy. Uh, Mark chapter 10, this morning, if you have your notes in front of you, if you're a guest, you see that we have notes for you to take notes on. A lot of people like to write as I talk. It helps them kind of stay on track. If that helps you, please take advantage of that. But you see this morning that we're going to do two main things. We're going to look at the Bible and find some observations. And then we're going to say to ourselves, okay, but so what? How do the observations that we look at in scripture impact and collide with our life? At the fellowship, we value not only discovering what the Bible says, but we place a high value on thinking through and processing, okay, now this is true, how do I put it into my life so that when I leave this place today, I will be a different slash better disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ? And so we see that we're going to be doing that this morning, and the observations observations are really broken into two sections. Mark chapter 10 verses 32 through 34, which is a section of scripture where Jesus pulls the disciples off to the side and tells them something important about what's coming on their trip to Jerusalem. And then the rest of the text that we're looking at this morning are the disciples responding to and speaking back to Jesus after hearing what Jesus has to say. Uh, So this morning, let's just start by looking at verse 32. We'll Read verses 32, 33, and 34. We'll stop. We will look at these observations and we'll move on into the next section. But this is Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. The Word of God says, And they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. Now pausing right there, if you grew up in church, if you've been in the church scene for a number of years, you probably didn't just learn anything. Uh, That's something that you've heard over and over in your life, the the gospel message, right? Jesus went to Jerusalem. He was handed over to the leaders. They crucified him on the third day. He rose again. And what you would have in common with the disciples is that that wasn't the first time they had heard it either, which is the first observation, this sense of repetition from Jesus to his disciples. We observe in the scripture that this is is the first time that Jesus has said these things to his disciples. Now, in fact, if you'll look in Mark chapter 10, a lot of the Bibles, uh, when you look at the Bible, uh, they have these little section headers at the top. It kind of gives you a little synopsis of what the next section of scripture is about. And in the ESV, that little header section says, Jesus foretells his death a third time. So by Mark chapter 10... Jesus has already twice spoke to the disciples about his coming death in Jerusalem. And here is the third time Jesus has said that. And one of the observations that we have is that Jesus repeats frequently what's to be expected when they get to Jerusalem. And in fact, if you look in verse 32, it says they were on the road. They were going to Jerusalem. They were in motion, right? They were traveling. Jesus was walking ahead of them. The people were amazed. Some of them were afraid. And it says, and taking the 12 again. Jesus has this repetitive cadence of taking the disciples off to the side and talking to them about the crucifixion. Now the question is why the repetition? And I don't think it's much different than why we repeat things in our life today. There's two main reasons that things are repeated in our world today. One is for education. If you're in education this morning, if you're an educational uh, professional, or if you've ever just been in charge of teaching anybody anything, then you know this one point. You can't say it just once. You have to say it over. You have to say it creatively. You have to figure out how to communicate something frequently. Why? Because you really want them to get it. So whether or not it's been something that you've tried to communicate to your friends or to class uh, that maybe you're a teacher or to your kids that you've had to say over and over and over and over... Repetition is an important component of life for the transference of education, knowledge. We want people to grasp it, so we say it differently, but again, over and over and over. Another reason that repetition is an important component of our life isn't just education, but it's for emphasis or urgency, you know that song that we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? That repetition is designed to talk about the emphasis or the urgency or the power with which we're trying to communicate the holiness of God. We repeat things that we want emphasized. So then when Jesus repeats the gospel story over to the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. On the third day, I will rise again. Which is it? Is it for education purposes or for emphasis purposes? C, both. I think the repetition from Jesus to his disciples is because both he wanted them to get it and because it was so important. So one observation in this scripture is the the repetitiveness, with the, the repetition with which Jesus speaks to his disciples. Now, the second observation, and then we'll move on and look at the rest of the scripture because we have a lot to cover today. But the second observation that I would make is really in the verbs that we find in verses 32, 33, and 34. Specifically, most of the verbs that we find in these three verses are verbs about things that will happen to Jesus. Jesus will have this done to him. This will happen to Jesus. And it isn't until you get to the very end of verse Thirty-four. that you see that there's a verb that Jesus does himself. And so let's just kind of walk through this again, just for the sake of observation, just for the sake of seeing it in the scripture before we try to ask, okay, how does this impact or collide with our life? Let's look at it. They They were going on the road in verse 32. Jesus was walking ahead of them. The people were amazed. And then here Jesus says in verse 33, We are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. There's one. And they will condemn him. There's a second to death. And they will deliver him over to the Gentiles. There's a third. And then there's a whole string of them. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise I want you to know that if you're a follower of Christ this morning the entire hope of eternity is summarized for us in these two verses Jesus will be delivered over will be mocked spit upon flogged and killed and then he will rise again Isn't it interesting to you that when Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem with his disciples, where this this stuff was going to happen, he was telling it to his disciples? He was once again communicating the gospel to the disciples. The disciples had been with him for years, they had watched his ministry, they had heard him teach. They had participated that literally the power of God had had worked through the disciples. I mean, they had done ministry as well. All of this, and yet he is still repetitively preaching the gospel to his disciples. These are interesting observations. Now, what I'd like for us to do is to move forward just a little bit, still in the spirit of, Finding observations and noticing things in the text. We'll read this next section together. And then I want to share with you three other observations before we start answering the question how does this help me in my life today? How do I apply this to my life today? And so then let's pick up in verse 35. We'll read through verses 35 through 45. And then we'll pause. We'll make a couple of observations, not about what Jesus is doing, but specifically about the disciples' reaction, response, what's going on in the hearts of the disciples at the time. So look with me in verse 35. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Have you ever had a child walk up to you and say, I want you to give me whatever my next question is. That makes me panic a little bit? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. Now, if you're reading that this morning going, what? You're in good company. There's probably a whole host of people this morning, either online with us or right here in person that are going, what? Did Jesus just say? What are they asking for? What are we talking about sitting at the right hand and sitting at the left hand? What these two men are asking was for Jesus to position them with favor and with influence and affluence of power when Jesus took on the kingdom. This is what they're saying. They're kind of stepping out to the front and saying, Jesus, listen, I know we're all important here. But when it really comes down to it, can you make us to the most important? Now, as funny as that is, literally, that's what they're asking Jesus. And I know that when we read that, that's not how we talk anymore. And so we read it and we're like, what? But the other disciples clearly understood what was happening because I want you to see in the scripture what happens look with me in verse 41 it says and when the other 10 heard it they began to be indignant at James and John they were fit to be tied you may not know that expression they were mad they were upset they were indignant at these two men who are you to go and ask Jesus and try to cut us out of all of the power and glory? Who are you to step out forward and say, let me sit at the right hand and let me sit at the left? And so here they are on the road to Jerusalem to fulfill the gospel for Jesus to be crucified on the cross and conquer death. And here they are on the road fighting about who would be the best. And Jesus steps in, look what Jesus says. Jesus called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave or servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this morning we're looking at observations. We're just reading the text, making some observations. And one of the observations that we make about the disciples is that the disciples were attracted to the power, but they were not attracted to the pathway or to the process. If you look at the question that these two men, these two disciples requested of Jesus, they said, Jesus, let me sit at your right and your left in your glory. They didn't say anything about his suffering. They didn't say anything about his arrest or the fact that he would be mocked or the fact that he would be spit on or the fact that he would be flogged or the fact that he would be killed. Nobody wanted a ticket for that. They wanted a ticket for his glory. And what we discover about these disciples is that even though they spent years with Jesus, they still were only attracted to the power of God, but not to the humility, not to the suffering, not to the servanthood at all. They wanted a seat At the table of glory. But they wanted nothing to do with the table of suffering. That's one observation. A second observation that I have about these disciples. Is that because they misunderstood the actions of Christ. They misunderstood their role in the gospel. And it isn't as though it's hard to misunderstand the actions of God. I mean, there's probably three dozen people who are here this morning who could stand up and testify that as you look back on your life, as you look back and see what God was up to you, you admit, in the moment, I didn't see it. I didn't comprehend it. I didn't understand it. I sometimes misdiagnosed the work of God in my life. It can be easy to misunderstand what Christ is doing in your life, but these disciples really suffered for that because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah who was gonna march into Jerusalem and uh, and to drive out the Romans and to look at Caesar right in the face and hit him with this big uppercut and push him out of Rome. They thought that Messiah was going to take over Rome and liberate the people of God, and they wanted a piece of that. They misunderstood the actions of Christ. And so they misunderstood their role in the kingdom of God. They were asking Jesus about sitting at the table of glory, and Jesus was replying, You guys don't understand. There's no table, we're to go out and to serve the nations. We're to go out and and feed the hungry. We're to go out and connect with broken and hurting people and minister to them and and help them. That is what our role is. But because they misunderstood the actions of Christ, they misunderstood their role in that story. That's another observation. The third observation is a critical one. If you're making notes this morning, would you write down this uh, observation? Their corrupted desires challenged the unity of the disciples. I want for us to lean in on that just a little bit. I know we still have some points of application. We're going to go there. We're going to get there. We're going to complete that this morning. But I think this is an important observation. Consider this. They were literally in the process of fulfilling the prophecy and the gospel of God. They were literally walking on the road to Jerusalem. They were walking with Jesus. Jesus was preaching the gospel to them. I am going to be arrested. I am going to be beaten. I am going to be crucified. I am going to be resurrected. All of this awesome Stuff is happening. And then corrupted desires step in. And two guys step forward and say, listen, Jesus, we've been talking. And the other 10 are really great. But we think you'd really be blessed to have us. And so you should put us at the right and left hand of your glory. Total creative thinking. It doesn't say this, not even in the Greek. I can just hear the 10 going, hey, what are you guys talking about up there? Oh, nothing. We're just getting godly counsel. No big deal. Be right back. Listen, Jesus, can we please... Be the most important in your glory. And again to verse 41 when the rest of them saw and discovered and heard that there were two of the 12 who were jockeying for position, who were trying to cut the other 10 out, they were mad. These people are on the road to Jerusalem to fulfill the hope of all mankind and they are fighting on the road about who's gonna be the greatest. Corrupted desires destroy unity. And it would be awesome if this were the only time we see it happen in scripture. Well, you can turn to the book of Acts after Jesus is crucified, resurrected, uh, transcended, and the Holy Spirit was inside of the church and and the gospel was moving forward. It happened there. And, And I submit to you that it happens today in churches, corrupted desires, sometimes from the lead pastor. Sometimes it can be from lead leadership teams. It could be from the staff or it can be from the elders. It could be from teaching teams or it can be a cluster of people that get together and they have this corrupted desire. And all of a sudden unity is broken. But one of the observations that we make here in the life of disciples is corrupted desires challenge unity. So how do we make sense of this for our own life? Like this morning, we've made some observations, I think important ones. Uh, You may have thought these thoughts before. You may have looked in... Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And you may have had these thoughts. You may have seen these before. You may have heard preaching or teaching on these. You may have sat in Bible studies where these has been discussed. But the question for us, really, as a people of God, is, okay, now we know what's happening in the Scripture. What do we do with that? In, in my life, students, like as I get up and go to school and interact with brothers and sisters or try to get along with my parents... What do I learn today that I can apply to my life so that when I walk out of these doors, I will be better equipped to do those things that I'm going to be doing this week for those of you who are in the workforce? How does any of this make any difference to my life on the job? Those are all great questions. I want to give you some places of application. We love at the fellowship to apply the word of God. We believe that scripture calls us not just to know what the scripture teaches, but to do it, to be doers of the word of God. And I want to equip you to do that this morning. I want to share with you some points of application. Now, I don't claim that there are three and I found them. I mean, if you read this whole section of scripture, as you reflect on your life, you probably can think of a whole host Six, nine, twelve, fifty, probably, of ways that you can apply the Word of God. I just want to get you started this morning. I just want to lay before you this morning some suggestions on if you have a passion to apply these your thoughts, these observations, these principles on how you can do that. The first is this let us heed and perpetuate the repetitive nature of the gospel in our life. If you've never written the word heed, it means pay very close attention. It's like the word behold. It's like the word check this out, right? Let us pay close attention to and perpetuate, continue the repetitive nature of the gospel in our life that Jesus was handed over Beaten, crucified, and rose again on the third day. Let us continue the repetitive cadence of that in our lives, just like Jesus would repeat it in the lives of the disciples. You may say to yourself, that doesn't seem like practical application at all. This is what I'm getting at. As a people of God, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over. And over again. The gospel isn't something that is supposed to collide into our life once and then disappear, never to be seen again. The gospel is something that is to confront us, bless us, challenge us, and transform us every single day of our life. The repetitive nature of the gospel is something that we all desperately need so for those of you who are here this morning in, in marriage relationships or in romantic relationships you need the gospel in your relationship over and over and over again I, I mentioned young people if you're here and you're in school or you're in college or you just started the workforce you need the gospel in your life over and over and over again Even those of us who are in the workforce, like when you go to your place of employment, we need that repetitive nature of the gospel. We need to be reminded of our hope. We need to be reminded of the truth. We need to be reminded of the power of God in our life. Every place that we go, every day of the calendar year. So this morning, if we're thinking, how do I get at this in my own life? I think that we take a cue from the way that Jesus continually preached the gospel to the disciples. Three times in 10 chapters, like over and over and over. And we need to say, where in my life do I need to hear more of the gospel? Is it in my relationships? Is it in these quiet moments in my life of private what's going on, what I'm thinking about or what I'm loving or what I'm drawn to or the urges that I have. Do I need the gospel in relationships? Do I need the gospel in my private life? Do I need the gospel in my calendar? Do I need the gospel in my checkbook? Like where do I need to hear the gospel of Christ again over and over and over? The repetitive nature of the gospel is important for us for educational purposes, and for emphasis purposes. That's one way that we can seek to apply what we've observed this morning into our own lives. Second way that we can do this, I wrote it this way. Let us be a congregation of servants. Let us be a congregation of servants. It's important for us to remember that just like the disciples... If we're not careful, we can become so hungry for power that we stop serving. And I think if you're a person who either makes notes or goes back and studies things, I would encourage you to make note of verse 45 and for all of us to commit verse 45 to memory. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, sometimes when we're thinking about the things of God, thinking about the will of God, it can feel a little cerebral and hard to get at. Like, what does God want with my life? Does he want me to be a this or a that? Does he want me to go here or go there? And sometimes we can sense this little crisis moment in our life when we're trying to understand what is God's will for our life. But I would tell you that there's a baseline that is true for all of us in this room if we're in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm about to tell you God's will for your life. It is to be an effective servant of people. That's the will of God. Let us be a congregation of servants. In other words, myself, other people who are leaders here, other people who are volunteers here, other people who get involved here, you're here today, those of you who are online, let's don't have a bunch of these two guys at the front of this story going, Jesus, can we have all the power? That's not gonna get this church anywhere. Let's be a people who are passionate about serving one another and the world And God will take care of the rest. In fact, when I was making this note, I wrote it. There's actually a second part to this thought. I want to share it with you. Maybe it'll connect with your heart this morning. I wrote, let us be a congregation of servants, not for greatness, but from faithfulness. And so that gets at the motive of why we serve. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, then you're going to be a servant. But I'll tell you this. I don't want to serve from a motive of desire to be great. I want to serve because my Lord served. I want to be good at loving people because my Lord was good at loving people. I want to offer relief to the brokenhearted because my Lord offered relief to the brokenhearted. And I discovered in my life that I have to really keep in check, not just what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. Let us be a congregation of servants, not for greatness, but from faithfulness. That's another way that we can put this into practice this morning. As we look at Jesus and preach the gospel, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to serve I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified. I will rise again. And the disciples are fighting over who's going to be the best. And Jesus said, look, people, I didn't even come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If you want to follow your leader well, then that's the attitude that you'll take. Take up the attitude of servanthood. So the second thought this morning on application, let us... Be a congregation of servants, not for greatness, but from faithfulness. And the third thought I have of application let us stay close to Jesus for the sake of unity. You know that I'm the type of person who reads the Bible and likes to ask, what if? I just have this wandering mind that's always going, Oh, think about that, and what if that would have happened? I read that way here. What would have happened if Jesus had not been there when verse 41 was happening, and the rest of the 10 were getting mad at the two, and they were indignant, and the scripture says, and then Jesus called them all together and told them this lesson, but what if Jesus wasn't there? I can just see 12 of these guys like having a fist fight right on the side road to Jerusalem, right, fighting over who was best in the kingdom of God and coming to blows." Their nearness to Jesus kept them in unity, because he was there to bring them together and say, "Listen, guys, you've got it wrong. We're going to be a people of servanthood. And I say that for us this morning. Let us be a people who stay close to Jesus for the sake of unity. You look around at the fellowship and you see what God is doing. You see God is sending new faces and we praise God for that. We see that God is restoring relationships and we praise God for that. We watch a testimony like Sam's this morning of of young people who want to take a stand for Christ, be discipled and make a difference in the kingdom of God. And we praise God for that. We've got people who are here literally in this room right now who came to this building because of grief. And the Lord has done a tremendous work in their life. Are they still grieving? Absolutely. But they have hope now. God is working in their life. We see all these things that God is doing. Not that we as elders are doing, not that we as staff are doing, not that your lead pastor is doing, but things that our Lord is doing. You know what will blow that all up? Division. Let's stay close to Jesus. Jesus for the sake of unity. We can breathe a sigh of relief that we don't save people's souls. We don't put marriages back together. We don't heal the broken heart. We don't give wisdom to the wayward soul. God does all those things. What is our job? Stay together and stay focused on the kingdom of God. What's one way that we can apply what we learned this morning? And so we can stay near to Jesus for the sake of unity. I can't imagine what would have happened to those twelve guys, ten against two, and they were all upset that day. But Jesus was there, and the Scripture says He called them to Himself, and He unified them with a lesson. Our third point of application is let's stay close to Jesus for the sake of unity. I invite you to bow with me this morning as we close our time. I know that there's a lot that's been said. And whether you're here every week or you're here for the first time, there's probably a lot of thoughts. And a lot of questions swirling through your mind and heart right now. And that's okay. What I'm asking you to do. Is to focus on one thing that God is doing in your heart right now. And make the decision. That you're going to be faithful to the Lord. And whatever God is speaking. Whatever way God is leading you through this text. Would you be faithful to it this morning? Father as we close our time this morning. We are grateful for the way that you continually and repetitively communicate to your people. We admit and celebrate, O oh Lord, that we are recipients of blessing by being able to read and reread and restudy the way that you interacted with your disciples. We confess to you, O Lord, also that when we read the word of God, it both encourages and challenges us. There are parts that are so inspiring and there are parts that really convict our heart. And we thank you for both categories. And Lord, as we leave from this place, we ask you, Lord, that you would transform our lives, that you would give us the clarity and the wisdom and the courage to take action on what we've studied today. So that whether it's in us or in other people, Lord, we we want our life to be a blessing to the world. And so, Lord, give us the wisdom, the strength, and the courage to apply what we've learned this morning. We pray all of this together. In the name of Jesus, amen.